Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. I want to start with a confession. Uh, I was a weird kid growing up. Uh, and I say that because there are just some things I just didn't understand, or I didn't quite think applied to me, like gravity. I didn't quite believe in gravity. Um, because some of my earliest memories was watching my dad. And my dad, uh, uh, when I was little, he was a jump master in the Army. And when we were stationed at Fort Bending in uh, Georgia, he would train paratroopers to jump out of airplanes and, and just watch them float down. And so... As a small child, I would jump off of very high things, trees, uh, the tops of trucks and houses, and I would use all sorts of things like parachutes, you know, pillowcases, umbrellas, coats, uh, anything that looked like it could catch the wind. Now, those things did not work very well. Uh, so I would sometimes end up in the hospital um, on more than one occasion with sprains or um, broken arm or stuff, but I, I still did it. Um, because, I, I don't know, I think maybe I just wanted to be like my dad. And uh, another thing I, I did was I used to try to pick myself up because, um, you know, I know, knew I could climb things, right? I knew I could, could hold on to something and pull myself up. I could scramble up to the top. I mean, that's what you're doing when you're doing a pull-up. You're lifting yourself. And um, so I thought, if I could lift myself, if I put one arm under my leg and lifted, I should be able to lift myself. Um, but I couldn't, <laughs> right? Because if you do that, if you put one arm under your leg and lift yourself up really forcefully, you'll fall over. Uh, I'm sure if I grab something, I, I can scramble to a higher vantage point, but I cannot escape gravity. It is something that's always pulling at me. Uh, now, a slight change of topic. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is found in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet, and uh, he has a vision where he sees God on his throne. And it terrifies him. And he cries out. This is Isaiah 6, 5. Mourn for me. I am ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of the heavenly forces. When uh, Isaiah comes into contact with the holiness of God, he becomes profoundly unaware of his, or profoundly aware of his unholiness, of his limitedness, that God is so much greater than he is. And, and it's not just him that he becomes aware of. It's his people, really all people. We cannot stand in the presence of the holiness of God. Now Isaiah, he was a prophet. He'd been given words uh, of God to speak, but in the presence of the living God, he was starkly aware of his shortcomings, his limitedness, his unworthiness, his fallenness. And a lot of us can relate to that. Have you ever met a hero of yours? 
um, perhaps a favorite musician or actor or athlete or a, even a politician sometimes, and, and you're just tongue-tied. I remember I was with one of my friends, and um, we were in the middle of nowhere. We're, we're in the lower 48. We're in the middle of nowhere, and uh, we ran into this world-famous musician. Like, and, uh, and I was just like, oh, oh, do you know who that is? Um, I, and I could barely talk to him. I did talk to him. But my friend, my friend was a really, really big fan of him. And, uh, and you know, I, so I talked to him and I introduced myself. And, and you know, my, but my friend, who, who was also with me, who was a way huger fan than I was, he'd listened to hours and hours of his um, albums. He couldn't say anything. He was just, I, 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 <laughs> and uh, later I asked him about it. And he said, said what am I going to say to him? What can I say to him? Who am I to talk to him? Like, I like your music, you know? Um, or maybe you've been someplace and everybody seems smarter and well in, more, more well-informed than you. More well-informed. That just does not sound right. See? But, so, but you feel inadequate. And you feel your limitations. In the presence of, of, of greatness, and of holiness, and e even of, of that much love, Isaiah feels unlovely. Right? He knows there's no way he can be worthy of such a powerful and, and, and wonderful being. And it's like me with gravity. He cannot pick himself up enough to be worthy to be there. No wonder he cries out, I am ruined. Now, honestly, he was already ruined. Um, he didn't all of a sudden just become unworthy. He was always unworthy. He was the same person in front of God that he was every other day of his life. He hadn't changed. Um, but most of the time, we can pretend. right? We can pretend that we're a better person, uh, especially when we compare ourselves to, to other people sometimes, uh, you know, who we choose to compare ourselves with, maybe. But in front of God, he couldn't pretend anymore. His true self was revealed. And he knew that he was just like everyone else just another unclean man from an unclean people in an unclean world. So then what does God do? What does God do with all that? Well, in Isaiah 6, the, the next part, um, 6 through 7, Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. Isaiah couldn't make himself worthy to be in God's presence. There is nothing he could have done. Just like I can't pick myself up, right? Gravity still works. But, you know, if somebody was very strong, they could lift me up. They could pick me up. And Isaiah, he could be cleansed. Over the next five weeks or so, we're going to be going over the covenant affirmations. And those are the beliefs that unite us as a denomination. Um, and as a denomination, we're very broad in our expression. Um, each of our churches may look different, and each church services may be quite, quite different. Um, because we focus ourselves on a shared mission. The proclamation of Jesus and his kingdom. 
in ourselves, in our community, and in the world. But with all that being said, we do need some ways to define ourselves, right? A shared set of values that make us, us. Um, so we have these affirmations which form our identity. And these are the six affirmations. We affirm the centrality of the word of God. We affirm the necessity of new birth. We affirm a commitment to the whole mission of the church. We affirm the church as a fellowship of believers. We affirm a conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We affirm the reality of freedom in Christ. Um, as I said last week, uh, this series, it, it's, it's more, more, of a, more of a teaching than a preaching. Uh, so, so you might want to take notes. And this is for adults, too. Um, and if you show me your notes, I have a prize for you, um, adults. Um, so Pastor Christy usually will have something for kids, but I will have something for adults um, if, you, if you show me your notes. And I'll try to leave some time to ask questions at the end, because like I said, I do consider this more of a teaching. Um, now, uh, you, you might be thinking, okay, um, I've, I've talked about my childhood issues with gravity. Um, I've talked about um, God's throne room and the covenant affirmations. And you're wondering, like, okay, how does this all fit together? Um, and hopefully, by the end, you'll understand. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the second affirmation. We affirm the necessity of new birth. Uh, so what does this affirmation mean? It means that being good isn't good enough. It means that believing the right things isn't good enough. There is nothing we can do or believe that will enable us to enter the kingdom of heaven. If we were ever truly in front of God, um, any of us, any of us would be like the prophet Isaiah proclaiming, mourn for me, I am ruined. And that's how we'd feel. We are not ruined, though, because we are not forgotten. We are not worthy of God. But God is good, and he doesn't forget us. And God can make us worthy. God can bring us up and enable us to be in his presence. So I want to read this short story in uh, the chapter. John chapter 3. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, and he came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it is not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It is impossible to enter a mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? And Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, it is not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same way with everyone who is born of the spirit. Uh, we can't save ourselves. Uh, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven by ourselves. Just like we cannot birth ourselves. Um, I guarantee you, anyone who is born had very little to do with the process. All right, That's just not the way things work. Someone had to create. Someone had to carry the life. Uh, someone had to struggle to birth the baby. The baby itself 
had very little to do with the process. And, and just like you were born into this world, someone had to take the initiative to bring you into God's greater, fuller, spirit-filled world, the fullness of his kingdom. Someone had to be for you and to be leading you towards this new life, even before you were aware of it. Someone had to struggle and pain and suffering to birth you into the world. Right? And, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. On uh, May 25th, 1738, uh, uh, John Wesley was down on his luck. Uh, this is in England. This is in London. And he was despairing about the failures in his life. Uh, the son of a pastor in college, he started a Bible club and an accountability group. Um, so a holiness club. And he knew his stuff. And he really tried to keep himself holy. And if you looked at the questions they asked each other, they really did ask each other um, you know, some questions to, to, to try to make sure that you were on the straight and narrow. And then he went to be a missionary in America. But instead of serving people, which he tried to do, he kind of got mixed up with the girl and kind of local politics and pretty much told, go home. <laughs> He knew the right things, and he mostly did the right things with his life until he didn't. And then he's back at home, a failure. And uh, on the evening of the 25th, let me, let me read you. This is his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change in which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Now, uh, the society that he was attending was a Moravian Bible study. Uh, and that strange warming in his heart, that strange warning changed, changed his life. He was born and empowered him and drove him and his brother, who had the same experience three days earlier, uh, to create a whole a renewal movement in the Anglican church that eventually grew into Methodism and all of its offshoots. And uh, Wesley's and the Moravians were also very influential to the Swedish pietistic movements, which birthed our denomination. Okay, God does something. God did something to his heart. He knew the right things. He grew up in the church. He tried to keep himself pure, but it was wooden. He tried to follow duty, but there was no, no love, no fire. Our faith has a mystical edge to it because um, it's not just enough to believe the right things. Our faith is not a philosophy, and it's not enough to just do the right things. It's not a social program. Those things are important, but we need to be transformed, transformed by the grace and by the love of God. And that's what happened to Wesley that day. Okay, he's somebody that knew the right things, that really tried. You know, he, he believed the right things, and he tried to do the right things. But he needed the fire to be awoken in his heart. He needed to be born again. He needed new life. And, and I, I have three children um, who are uh, coming back from camping today, so they're not here. But two of them were born very quickly, and one of them took his time. It was a long labor. But they were all born into this world. Okay, they all, they, all, they all had to come and enter this world. And Jesus says that we all have to be born into his kingdom. 
we all have to be born anew. And sometimes it's going to happen quickly, like jumping into a swimming pool. Some of us have dramatic conversion stories, like we're boom, something, a light bulb went off, whatever. Um, I can remember the date, even the moment I, I responded to God's Call to Salvation on March 1st, 1991 at the Atwood Concert Hall right down the road. But some people, it happens gradually, a bit by bit. It's like, like you're easing into a hot bath. Um, if you grew up in the church with godly parents, it might make sense you don't remember the exact moment uh, when you were aware of your new birth. But there has to be a new birth. There has to be a time when you're like, wow, this is not just the shape of my community. This is the shape of what you're doing in my heart that's transforming me. A conscious realization that you're at work in me, where your heart is strangely warmed, and you press forward and live into your new birth. But either way, whether it happens fast or whether it happens slow, it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into this new birth in Christ. God is always the one that takes the initiative. I mean, I mean that, that is who Jesus is, right? God's initiative to rescue a world that's groaning under the weight and consequences of brokenness. And now, like I've said earlier, a new life isn't about having the right beliefs. We're not saved through knowledge. But if you live into this new life, hopefully you're going to learn some things. Hopefully you'll have years of studying the scripture. You'll have experiences being around saints that have followed Christ longer. You'll have more and more transformational experiences with gods. Um, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote, writes in Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good, pleasing, and mature. All right, you're going to grow. Knowledge doesn't save you, but as you live into your salvation, if you don't grow in your knowledge, something is wrong. Um, just like uh, if, if, if you have a baby, there are milestones you look for to make sure that the baby is growing properly. And um, if the baby is having a hard time learning, then, then, then huh, there's something wrong. And you have to look into, what are those difficulties? How can I, how can I help that? Um, and likewise, our actions don't save us, no matter how good and how positive our actions are, no matter how selfless. Um, those do not save us. But if good actions do not come out of our salvation, then there's something wrong with the salvation. Our new life in Christ should result in a growth of knowledge and work and good works. Because we, sh we should be constantly growing in our faith. Right? That's discipleship. That's discipleship. A new life should lead to a new life. The discipline of growing up in our faith. Um, there's a book that I heartily recommend, uh, and it's actually hard to get. I think you have to go to the Cove of Books to get it. Um, it's by uh, Donald Fisk, a covenant theologian. And I don't know if he's still alive or not, but uh, it's called uh, Covenant Affirmations, This We Believe. It's a little bit academic, but, uh, but it's good. And he puts it this way. Regeneration, uh, which is both our new birth and our growth into that new birth, is not simply moral reformation of the sinner or the polishing of his or her native qualities to their highest level of perfection. 
is the imparting of a new life orientation with fresh resources of the inspiration and power to be made available through participation in new life with Christ. Like physical birth, regeneration involves a crisis. It is a passing from death to life. It is a break with the bondage of the past and is therefore best understood in terms of death and resurrection. We die with Christ to sin, to the demands of the sinful ego, and to the, pretentious, the pretensions of the present age, and are raised into newness of life with him. The work of regeneration is a continuing work and is not completed until we are brought into conformity with him. Our birth is not our work, but we do get to participate. Because a child, a child will grow whether they want to or not. Right? That's just what they do. They get bigger. Um, so some of my kids, who will remain nameless, do not want to grow. They would like to stay little kids. Um, but they're still growing. And the choices that we make influence how we grow. Are we growing sickly and ineffectual? Or are we growing healthily and strong? And uh, this is something, I, I believe that you know, faith deconstruction and reconstruction, they're, they're an essential part of our journey of faith. Um, so I, I'm, I'm good with that, I'm not afraid of that. Some people are a little hesitant of those types of things. I, I'm okay with that, I think it's healthy. Um, but I do get worried that sometimes that sort of language is just the, something used to hide our spiritual anemia, our, our spiritual weakness. Because I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people that struggle and despair about the state of their spiritual life. But then we talk, and they don't read the Bible. They don't pray, and they don't go to church, and they don't participate in some sort of life group or accountability group. And, and what they've done is they've closed off all the way not all the ways, because God's creative and will use any ways, but, but many of the ways that God normally uses to develop a relationship. I mean, even John Wesley, like in the depths of his sorrow and in loneliness, he felt drawn to go into a Bible study. Like, I, I just need to do something. Too often, people cut themselves off from any source of life. And then they ask questions like, gosh, why does God seem so far away? How come my faith doesn't move me as it once did? Does my faith even matter? Um, now, those sort of crises, in many ways, are healthy. If we push through them, if we push into them, if they drive us in, right, to the discipline, to, to participation more fully. But if we just make that say, ah, that's getting too hard, then we wither. I, ha I have this really good friend, and uh, he had really bad sleep apnea, and, uh, which, is, which is when, when you're sleeping, your body stops breathing. And he, he had these really narrow sinus pass passages, and um, his apnea has, has been a problem since he was a teenager. But you know, when, as he grew up, as he grew older, he started to put on weight like some of us do, and that exasperates the problem. And his doctor recommended surgery. Uh, his dad had to have it, um, and his dad was like a slim bean. You know, it's just, that was just kind of what they did. Um, the, a CPAP machine, which is a mask a person sometimes wears when they sleep, um, it pumps air into your airways. It, it wasn't effective, it wasn't enough. But my friend, he didn't want surgery, and so he prayed. And he was like, 
And then he, he was convinced that God had healed them. He went to a sleep clinic. He was getting good air. And it appeared that God had healed him. It appeared like he did. But then a couple months later, uh, the apnea came back. Like, right, he couldn't breathe anymore. And, and, and here's the thing, though. Right? So he had this experience. He felt like he was healed. But then my friend, he didn't change any of his bad habits. He, he didn't um, start to eat better. He didn't start to exercise more, you know, losing some weight. He didn't change his sleep hygiene. He didn't change anything. And the thing he thought he was cured of was back. And he's like, oh, I don't know, God. Did you really heal me? <laughs> he doubted it. Um, God does not save us for us just to throw it away. He does not give us new life for us to remain unchanged. A new life should need, lead to a new life, right? When we're born anew, we should be born anew. Um, Ephesians 4, 22-24, we are exhorted to change the former way of life that was part of the person you once were, corrupted by deceitful desires. Instead, renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit and clothe yourself with a new person created according to God's image in justice and true holiness. We have a loving God who desires relationship with us, who desires to know us, who loves us, who descended from the realms of glory to be with us, who laid down his life on the cross as a burning coal on our lips to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness, and who rose again to give us new life, new birth into a new kingdom of his love and grace. God's taking the initiative. God takes the initiative. And I have to ask, has our heart been strangely warmed? Is our heart strangely warmed by the love of God? Right? Those birth pangs, those, those, those strange warmings, that, that's the birth pangs of the love of Christ. Right? God's cleansing and, and showing us and, and, and bringing us into a deeper, richer, fuller creation that his children are invited to into the fullness of his kingdom. Um, I pray that we learn how to live into that new creation, that we are transformed, that we are empowered to live more fully into the grace and love of our Lord, and that we experience the wonder of new birth and grow deeper and more fully into his life. Any questions? I know this is always some weird because you don't normally ask questions in the middle of a sermon, but uh, like I said, I, I, I do, I know it's sermonish, but it's also teacher, it's schoolish. Uh, any questions? All right. Yes. Um, okay. So. The question, the question is just for people that are online and can't hear. Uh, you know, affirmation of new birth require anything after, like any, any baptism or showing. We're going to actually be talking about baptism next week. Uh, we're going to be taking a break of this because we do, because uh, it's a fifth Sunday, and the fifth Sunday we kind of change. We've been doing something different. Um, and so we're going to be looking at why baptism. But no. And the short answer, no, there's not a requirement. Um, that's one of the things about the covenant. We're not really big into requirements. We're big into invitations. <laughs> so like, uh, no, you don't have to do this. You're invited to. It'll bless you. Uh, but 
Uh, there, there, there's not a, no, you must do this next. Uh, yes? Um, they, I don't know if they're in a blue hymnal. They, they're on the website. Uh, I actually sent, a, if, you, if you're on the newsletter and you look, uh, I, I sent out a pamphlet with all the covenant affirmations. Um, so they're in the Black Pastors book. But um, I'm not sure if they're in the hymnal. Christy's looking right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure where all, all, all the different places that's located. It is, uh, like I said, in the, the, on the Covenant website, like when you go, like, what do we believe? Did you find it? 868? Oh, okay. On 868 in the, the Covenant Blue Hymnal, if you want to look. Uh, yeah, and if you um, aren't on the list and would like a like like you know something that explains it a little bit more, I'd be more than happy to send that to you as well. And I'll go into all the the affirmations and kind of go through it. Uh, like I said, the affirmations are broad because we're not an exclusive denomination. You know, we don't think that everybody has to be exactly alike. We're united in mission. We want it to be broad, but it's narrow in as a focuses on Christ and what he's doing and us participating in that. Uh, yes, Lillian. Sure. Yeah, well, I can print it out and we can have some here uh, next week. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll print out the, the, um, yeah, the pamphlet. Or we'll get some copies. I think we can order some. Um, but yeah, we'll order some. We might even have some around someplace, but uh, we'll have to do some digging. Any other questions? All right, I want to close with a prayer. And uh, this is not going to be an original prayer. Um, it was actually my devotions this week. And uh, um, it was written by Anselm of Canterbury. Uh, you know, somewhere around you know, 1100, but uh, let's close in prayer. Oh my God, teach my heart where and how to seek you, where and how to find you. You are my God, and you are my all, and I have never seen you. You have made me and remade me. You have bestowed on me all the good things I possess. Still, I do not know you. I have not yet done that for which I was made. Teach me to seek you. I cannot seek you unless you teach me or find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you in my desire. Let me desire you in my seeking. Let me find you by loving you. Let me love you when I find you. Amen.